I know one of you little brats has been writing fake names all over the roll call sheet. Well, I ain't falling for it. Now then, is ass crack McGillicuddy here? Anybody? Ass crack? Okay, gang, now you can blink. Thus, we complete our journey through the orbs of Ariolmore, <laughs> a mystical role-playing experience for fantasy perverts like us. Wow. Whoa, graphics are incredible. Yeah. That's just the beginning. We have everything we need for a weekend of nonstop virtual exploration. We have a case full of Smash Cola, no Betamax player, and an equal amount of horny men and women. Greg, you're married. She's not here, is she? (laughs) It's not really how it works. All right. We have already beaten Danger, Dagger Dungeon, Pickle Jarhead, Godzilla vs. the Political Machine, and Surgery for Fun and Profit. We're going to have to go and do some hacking so we can find a new game. Hey, I have 10 free hours from AOL with this new compact disc. They sent me in the mail. Maybe we can try that? We're in. Now. (laughs) How to navigate. There. Chat rooms. Maybe we can ask some discerning but generous elderly gentleman to send us a link to new games. Good call, Casey. Hmm. Let's see. These look like new games. I haven't heard of them before. Maybe they're text-based? They have uh, rear entry. Maybe a puzzle game about unlocking back doors? Booby traps, maybe a kind of uh, minesweeper clone. Oh, they have schlong. That's the one where you beat a ball with two log rods. I don't think that this is a game, Greg. I know what you mean, Jamie. This is life. For the past 19 hours, I have poured my blood, sweat, and tears into hacking this database and my other bodily fluids into those buckets. (laughs) What the hell? Patrick! Are you using the phone again? Greg, what is this, man? I'm on the phone. God, Patrick! Oh, we were 14 hours into this hack. I told you not to use the phone for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Whoa, Greg, you call your dad by his first name? He's my stepdad, and he insists on calling the hospital to check on my real dad. <laughs> He just doesn't understand how important games are. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, hold on, hold on. You know, I was your age once. I knew a thing or two about the computers things, too. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, Josh, yeah. I had a Commodore 63. Greg, I know, you know, we got off to the wrong foot. What with me marrying your dad after an unreasonably short courtship. You know, it's more than just that. You don't know what it's like to have a new dad who is such an obvious jock. (laughs) You may wear letterman jackets and go on about the golden years when you and dad met kicking touch goals from the leather grid court. But I'm just not like that. I wear cloaks. I met my wife through mutual spider breeders. My friends and I are getting together for a weekend of fantasy role playing and oiled massages. What? Uh, say again? I'm a nerd, Patrick. And you are never going to change that. Yeah, but I don't want to change that, Greg. Yeah, I know when you look at me standing here holding this football, (laughs) you see all the bullies who have ever called you dweeb, freak, dead-eyed spaz, weirdo. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Virgin Jesus, Uncle Pervo, the impotent. Okay, <laughs> we get it. Bizarre, weird, little awkward, oily face. I don't like the face no one we likes. get it, Patrick. <laughs> What's important is I am more than the jock bully archetype. I'm the sensitive jock bully archetype with a heart of gold and out of character interests. Hey, is that schlong? How do you know schlong? <laughs> oh, man, that takes me back. Move over. Jocks? play video games are you kidding me i am the king of some of these games wow they have so many good ones excitekite old growth forest simulator boring i have heard of none of these well, come on these are the classics we want to play something cool like sim city destruction those games are very violent young man I bet you never had any fun as a kid. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, but one time we went too far. You know, we were doing something like just, well, just like this. A bunch of friends and I gathered around, you know, all awkward and gawking. Hey, yeah, we, uh, we thought it was a game. We were playing it, but really, really it was playing us. You know, we ordered the assassination of, well, and, and, and the explosions. We, we, we almost started World War III. I haven't talked about this in a long time. Wow. I had I had no idea. You know, they even made a movie out of some of our exploits. Oh, oh, I think I've seen that. No, you haven't. I, I think I have. It's It's got mad. I promise you, you haven't. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You kids have fun. Have a nice night, son. <gasps> oh, dang. That really threw me for a loop. Me too. I love my live gay dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we have the rest of the night to kill. Ooh, how about this one? It sounds pretty good. The dark web. No! Greg, no, no, no! no. That was a long way to go for that punchline, but it was worth it. <laughs> no, that was an epic. The computer. Some people think it's a high-tech toy, but this is no toy. Terminal Entry. Edward Albert teams up with aliens Yafet Koto against octopusy villain Kabir Beatty in this thriller where war games left off. Summer school's Patrick Labrador leads a group of teenage computer hackers. They get caught in a deadly struggle between terrorism and an anti-terrorist strike force when they think they're tapping into a complex computer game. To put us on the hit list. Counterman, all the things. I thought it was a game. Are you kidding me? Damn it, I need more men. They're bringing the war to us. That's what happened at the border. They're bringing the war to us. You'll need a computer to keep track of your action. It's not a game. There are no rules. And if they get caught, it may be terminal. Terminal entry. They get stuck between a plot and a hard disk. Gamers, flamers, and frankly, 80s movies Hall of Famers. <laughs> Classmates, we are talking about the film Terminal Entry with a very, a very special guest. Can't wait to tell you all about it, but it will be at the end of the roll call. Greg Hansen. Y'all thought going on WoW raids took a long time? Well, back in my day, we used to have to wait six hours to even start playing the games. <laughs> I uploaded and downloaded 15 gigabytes in the snow. <laughs> Josh Roth. Would you like to do a podcast? <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. How many times do I have to tell you? It's not called podcasting. It's called interactive computer fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Casey Regan. I am not a general, so I do have to say it pleases me <laughs> to bring you an actor who, my goodness, if you've ever been <laughs> tormented at the sight of a bully in a letterman jacket holding you by your ankles in a toilet bowl as the swirly swirls, but somewhere in the midst of all that flushing water, you think, I wonder what's going on behind those sensitive eyes. Well, then you've probably seen our guest, Patrick Labertoe. Woo! 
hey, an hey. actor, a performer whose career, my goodness, sir, it is spread over decades. It's spread. It's spread all over everything. <laughs> <laughs> You've really smeared a career across all of film. I, I love that. That could not have been better description. I'm going to steal that from now on. <laughs> smeared my career over everything. I can't believe it's not Patrick Laberto. <laughs> it's Laberto. Oh, Labrador. no. First That's rule of, of entertainment. First, get a name that no one can pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest thing in the world was when I was younger, my brother is an actor. We were on Little House on the Prairie together. The agent that we had said, you know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to take the Y out of your name. And they did. We, they took the Y out of our name for like 10 years, thinking what? that it would make it easier to, to, to pronounce. It was the dumbest. It's like taking a G out of Schwarzenegger going, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that agent know what the internet would become and now it's going to complicate your imdb profile yeah. <laughs> my official name is patrick while they're figuring it out there's that pause before <laughs> your middle name should be a drum roll <laughs> and it's not parisian it's cajun somewhere along the line some people in in louisiana figured they wanted to be more french and they added letters and we went to paris and the parisians just look at me like you sick american fuck <laughs> just you wreck our language they look at you and ask why <laughs> ah, exactly and that's why it's there well thank you so much for joining us patrick Laberto, thank you. I heard your guys' summer school thing and I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> well, we you said so stuff in your sketch. Because <laughs> you said stuff in the sketch that we all have thought on the, on the set since then. It was just like, yeah, there's so many inappropriate things in that movie that just would never be happening now. I was thinking about your sort of role, the, the iconography you've left on American film. And it's like, in that film also, what we loved about it was you you're, you played a very specific sort of teenager at a very specific time, but they seemed to come to Patrick to get a performance that had behind it, like, you know, a little, that that we needed to empathize. We needed to love that person. I, I think it, was, it went both ways. I lucked out by, you know, because you go up and audition for all the same types of parts, you know, and once you get one of them, then you get to go up and audition for all of the different jocks and everything. But, you know, for the ones that I did get, they all had a little bit more than just, you know, pushing Corey Haim over on his bike. <laughs> There's stuff in summer school that, you know, like I, I, again, I'm going back to your review on that because the scene at the lifeguard station, mm -hmm. so much of that movie was cut out just because they had so much stuff. If you notice, she's telling me what it's like to be pregnant and I'm doing something weird with my foot that they never explain. And so I go, wow, you're going to be a mother. And then there's this beat and that's where they cut the scene. But then there's a beat and, they, and I go, okay, it's all ready for you. And she goes, what? And I go, here, you can lie down on your stomach now. And I dug out a hole oh. so that she could lay on, on her tummy. Oh, wow. And it was like the sweetest that's little, so sweet. like, thinking of it? her and everything. And they cut yes. it out. They also cut out at the very end when we're all on the balcony of the beach house. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to give it up for adoption where I kind of come in and give her a kiss. And it was like, really? Like, we're going straight back to the kissing and the making out with the pregnant girl. Like, maybe you back away from that. And so that I thought was the good cut. But yeah, on, that was the only thing I really wanted to get out about the summer school because I always thought that was such a great moment for yeah. those two yeah. guys. But they went to the exploding melons, which is a good call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you're not wrong. It would have made the cut back to Chainsaw and Dave <laughs> a lot more abrupt. <laughs> but also credit to you because like I feel like that heart and that sensitivity shone through anyway, even without that little moment. Because that that's that's what we kept talking about. I yeah. think during the course of that movie was like how surprisingly sweet this character was, and like even with moments cut out it still reads yeah I, what and i gotta credit all of that to carl reiner and to the writer uh whose name is famous and i just forgot it he created full house he's a billionaire um he's okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's listening to this episode though yeah and he's like yeah. motherfucking patrick <laughs> yeah, never yeah. i'll never be on you know fuller house I'm out. <laughs> um, i think what's interesting yeah. though is when when i look at that even though it was cut out i was still playing that emotion because i was i was in the moment doing that so through the whole conversation with her 
I had that intention of like, this is what I'm going to present to her. So even when they cut it out, I still had that there. I wasn't planning on that, but I think that one of the reasons why they felt they could cut it out was because the moment between them had already actually been existing. Yeah. Since we have a limited amount of time, we should turn our attention to terminal entry, but I guess I... I, I... <laughs> should we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we because should. I, I loved it. I loved, I loved it. it. I thought it was so great. I loved it. Jackson, they're shooting at us. Always. If you look on like Letterbox and stuff like that, people don't like this, and I don't get really? it. By the time we did Terminal Entry, it was the transition from I'd been doing improv in Los Angeles. That's why there's so much of it in the movie, mm. and trying to transition into the roles that you uh, you know you, that you know me from now in the teenage years. And, and Terminal Entry is the first one, I think. How did you wind up in Terminal Entry? How did that come about? Oh, it was a straight up audition. It was a, a series of auditions where I auditioned for this company that they had made a killing on some karate movie and they were going to be this new big type of movie company that would compete with Canon. They wanted to compete with uh, Golan and Menachem and, and his brother. So it was this Intercontinental Releasing Corporation. Oh, you know, nothing okay. says quality entertainment than Intercontinental <laughs> Releasing Corporation. For entertainment that irks you. Intercontinental <laughs> Releasing. <laughs> IRC. And so Sandy Cove, who ran the company, he's listed as one of the people that's going to get killed. In fact, all of the people that get killed on the computer are crew members. <laughs> um, awesome. But yeah, so it was it was this independent young company that wanted this was their big their big throw in for the big 80s action flicks against Canon. And they got an editor by the name of John Kincaid to direct it and they auditioned pretty much the whole town as far as young kids. And I think they got a pretty good cast as far as that goes and, and apparently yeah. the guys that are the Middle Eastern actors are huge in India. Uh, at least that's what they told, they told me then. But, you yeah. know, re-watching it, I was really surprised at how Edward Albert was a really good action hero, even in a small, horrible action movie. <laughs> <laughs> that small, horrible action movie being half of the movie, because there really are two movies at play for the majority of this film exactly. until the very, very end, where yeah. all your friends disappear. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, it, it's a wishbone exactly. of a movie. The yeah. two pieces eventually meet eventually up meet in the into a single <laughs> thing. But it takes most of the movie to get there. Are you telling me that you're just going to let them walk right in? Is he kidding? Does it look like I'm kidding? No, you look like you got your head stuffed up your ass, for God's sakes. I lost three of my men this week cleaning up your damn mistakes. Now, look, forgive my temper, sir, but... Realistically, we're doing the best job we can do short of linking arms around the entire continent. He is like magnetic. He is he is very like Edward magnetic Albert's in this great. movie. Yeah. He's awesome. I mean, he in this I, I like I like it because he, he really looks like Tom Selleck playing Laura Palmer's dad. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like someone I'd be scared not to buy sunscreen from. <laughs> I think he's famous for butterflies are free with Goldie Hawn and being the son of Eddie Albert, which you did never ever call him Eddie. Call him Eddie <laughs> otherwise oh, you, you will suffer the wrath. Uh, but he's a sweet guy, but yeah, it was definitely his, his 80s action period. And during the 80s, I mean, you guys weren't alive, so you don't know. During the 80s, it was- Just a little bit. Just a little smidge, <laughs> smidge. Just, just One to two end. years. We just got it right under the, right under the- <laughs> I'm 22. So, uh, <laughs> the 80s were glorious. They were they were awesome. And part of that awesomeness was these these movies that were just, you know, we had all of the pieces of all of the other movies in our movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like you can recognize them from everywhere. And it was awesome. You know, lots and lots and lots of bullets and guns. As a young actor, I loved it. As, you know, I remember watching Yafit Koto, it was a low budget production. So basically the only people that had a trailer was Yafit and Paul Smith. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was kind of like, they shared a honey wagon room to change in. <laughs> it was like the whole cast and crew was, you know, they were subsisting off of like one little space heater and craft service, which on this show, God bless them. It was like Ritz crackers and like, you know, some peanut butter. <laughs> and then the night when the stunt crew came in, the stunt crew drives in with like five F-150s and a ton of equipment and they had their own camp. They had a barbecue, <laughs> they had a fire, they had, 
they had everything set up because they were these badass stuntmen who do everything and they actually had to pay the stuntmen the real rate and so they brought all their gear and so it was like it was like the the bifurcation of like the movie that we had been shooting was just like you know again huddled around a space heater versus an outdoor western world camp that these guys brought with them <laughs> what's the movie like patrick it's like well i learned what it's like to be down the hill from a beer commercial yeah people are tailgating the movie <laughs> there's two shots in this movie where they literally did the thing where they had the camera set and they had five guys just walk around the camera so it looked like there were 20 yes people. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's great stuff. Art. <laughs> um, I I have to confess something. This is my second War Games clone, but I've never seen War Games. <laughs> I've never seen War Games either. Wait. Really? Okay. Wait, okay. Here's a problem. I also that. have never seen War Games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one amongst the ghosts of this podcast. Maybe this I... is why we all loved it. Yeah. This yeah, is this, this is, is my loved... War Games. Guys. I've seen War Games and I love this movie. So. Am I the only one that read for war games? <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. I think okay. I did not get yes. war games. When you read or, or land a part in something like a terminal entry, are people saying just to your face, we're doing war games? But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. I, I did a show on Fox back in the 90s called The Last Frontier. And it just it was friends in alaska because friends was big and so then you do friends in alaska <laughs> they didn't say it they didn't say it on the promo but they might as well have yep the first yeah, episode yeah. was called the one with the friends theme <laughs> that was the one they named it that so yeah when we did terminal entry it was absolutely you know it's it's war games with an 80s action film yeah and that was the aesthetic they were going after <laughs> my entire 10-year run on jag is a few good men meets top gun yeah that was the for, for jag every, yeah, every yeah. dad's favorite show <laughs> yep on the other side of ripoffs have you since sued brad pitt for ripping off your shtick in this movie of always having food on you while you are while you are because i saw this and i was like mm, i see where rusty quote unquote mm. got it <laughs> Well, it's very possible because, um, again, we're still not talking about the, the movie we're talking about. <laughs> I did a movie called Heathers. And oh, oh, I found, oh. I just found this out, thing. like I watched a documentary that was on one of the DVDs of Heathers that I hadn't seen this documentary and they were talking about it. There was a huge audition process. And the big audition process with that was that towards the end, they started putting you with different people. And so I played the character Ram and then this other guy, Lance Fenton played Kurt. And so I read with him and then I read with this other guy and this other guy we had to wait for because he was coming from wherever it was, Knott's Landing, that he had been doing some guest starring stuff on. And I'm watching this documentary and it turns out that they're talking about that Brad Pitt was a guy that wanted to be in the movie and he was at all the readings and he was a part <laughs> of the whole process and they had read him, but he had been doing Knott's Landing and I'm sitting there going... I read with Brad Pitt for Heathers <laughs> and I had no idea. And so I had no idea that I had read with Brad Pitt. Obviously he didn't get the part, I'm sure for some reason other than, you know, him not being Brad Pitt because he still was Brad Pitt then. But yeah. Yeah, because Terminal Entry opens with you doing some pretty incredible Twinkie work. <laughs> Thank you. You bring a lot of sensuality out of that Twinkie. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it is, I, I suppose other aspects of the scene are sensual. <laughs> Hey, that's what they hired me for. To stick to her like, well, to stick to her. What could I do? I had to watch. I had to watch everything she did. And that Twinkie plays yeah. a surprisingly important role later in the film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does. I was surprised, you know, guy by the name of David Mickey Evans wrote this. And he ended up writing a radio flyer and the Sandlot. Oh, wow. And it was one Let's of those things out. where he was, again, everyone was young and hungry. And so he was he was writing scripts for, I don't know how much he got paid for it, but I'm going to guess that it was, you know, like, here, we got this idea. Why don't you fix this for, you know, five, 600 bucks or whatever. And so he, his name is on it. But yeah, I, there was a lot of stuff that was in there that when I rewatched, I was like, oh, I see. I remember that that was, it was all supposed to connect and it just I mean, it didn't gel wonderfully, but it kind of gelled absolutely 80s wonderfully. Yes. <laughs> a lot of Ooh, it doesn't, well said. It yes. doesn't make sense. But yeah, there's a lot of cause and effect there that is, is at least written out. Yeah. 
Well, what's kind of beautiful about this sort of 80s movie is if you d it's sort of like that old joke about I heard it as New England weather because I grew up in New England, but it's like, if you don't like this movie, just wait. It's <laughs> like, it's yep. going to be a different movie in a couple scenes. We're going to have film noir. Right. We're going to have like a college frat culture. We're going to have action movie. You know what? I hope this is not topical anymore. I suspect it will be. Mm. But oddly, <laughs> uh, it, it had the sort of atmosphere of talking about geopolitical conflict that I was, I needed. There's a chicken soup for the geopolitically anxious soul in terminal <laughs> entry. I was surprised as a more educated man now since I did it that there were over 200 apparently Middle Eastern terrorists coming up through Mexico. Well, that's, yeah. okay, that what is, border? Oh my. my first biggest question, <laughs> what border? Uh, the, the border between California and the entire Middle East? <laughs> yeah, like, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Afghanistan, You know, Libya here. and then California. <laughs> well, the real thing, and it was unfortunately cut from the movie, but the prologue where this takes place in a Pangea-like <laughs> Yeah. All right, Mr. Jackson, you bring me up to date. Come on. Well, with the four Abdulis that the Colonel and I zapped this morning, sir, uh, it brings the total up to... 22. 22 in the last three weeks. That's very admirable, Mr. Jackson. I can assume that you stopped all of Mahadi's terrorists from crossing our border. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, sir. With all respect, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there could be two, three hundred more out there. We just don't know. Two hundred? What in the hell am I supposed to tell our friends at the President's Ranch this Saturday when they get massacred? Mustache Jackson, Danny Mustache Jackson, who's mowing down terrorist refugees, unclear, who are running across an unclear expanse of land. Southern California, I guess. There's the briefest of action scenes, like the, the littlest action scene yeah. you can imagine. Uh, well, yeah, murdering refugees. Yeah, yes. just <laughs> mowing <laughs> them down. Open, open on uh, open on mowing down refugees and then refugees. Smash <laughs> cut to boobs. Uh, what else do yeah. you need from a 1988 film? Yeah, you can tell the the the, the releasing company said, okay, we need boobies in the first two seconds. Yeah, of, the oh, yes. of course, and, of course and they, they did. did. So yeah. quick. Some of the best acting was ever, ever in the movie was done by Barbara because the water in the shower was ice cold. Oh, oh no! Yeah, it was like the most oh. horrific situation. Basically, we're in this warehouse shooting this scene, and, and you know, stupid me, I'm like, "Oh, how are they getting plumbing in here?" And it's like, "No, they, they didn't. They had a pipe and they had a big bucket of water." <laughs> <laughs> well, all, yeah. all the hot water showers was reserved for the stunt crews. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Entourage. <laughs> I can see the water was cold. That must be why she couldn't get her caked on makeup out. <laughs> I love. <laughs> I loved her stepping out of the shower in full makeup. It's a porn game, Casey. There's it's no rules. Game. Like she is sort of your Obi Wan, though. She's, From a certain point of view. Yeah, she's <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Bob, you've got to get us out of this, and I'm all yours. Five nine, 125, 35 and a half, 25, 35. Uh, yeah. And then there's like a stalker monster cam, and it turns into a horror film briefly. A Leatherface ripoff. A chainsaw-wielding oh, maniac barges wow. in. So much happened in this movie, I completely forgot yeah. about Remember that the part? guy yeah, who yeah. busts into the fucking hotel room with Which you a have yeah. to, like, chainsaw. You have to imagine how that text game is playing. Yeah. It's some kind of like sexual role-playing <laughs> game, and then suddenly like you choose the wrong selection, and it's like, Leatherface burst through wall and starts <laughs> trying to kill you and hot lady babe. <laughs> right. Press B for Where biffs him with coffee can. <laughs> yes, they're attacked by Leatherface. But before that, the woman seduces him by giving her height, weight, yes, and measurements. Which will become absolutely pivotal to the film. Later oh, on. that's what is happening. I thought I, she was just yeah, spouting same. random numbers. I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was a like a URL, a, well, whatever they're called. Oh, an IP address. An IP address. It was her measurements. Wow. Which is funny, thinking it's a text-based game, and it's like that's oh, that, that's what we rattled off. That's what you're oh, working okay. with. That is what you're <laughs> oh, working with to funny. get people horny. That's really funny. Game. That is not. That does not come across at all. <laughs> Even the horniness was stats. Come on, 
Come on, anybody got any bright ideas? But it's revealed that it's just a video game, and we're back in the real world. <laughs> As she falls into the phantom zone. That was really screen, weird. Basically. Yeah, you uh, see the uh, woman. The woman is digital and then, like, falls into a digital void. And we find Bob and his friends who have been playing this game, I guess, or for 12 straight hours. The fact that the games... What? I'm not... Okay. Yes, not I, I want to know what the games are. Can, yeah. <laughs> was there any rhyme or reason to the, the rules? Yeah, bring up, or, Patrick, bring us back to the... Because we were born post-home entertainment and gaming. We, we've, been, we've lived in a luxury of home gaming. Can you bring <laughs> us back to a time of 72 hours straight, non-stop, co-ed, <laughs> RPG, video games, Only one. It's not parties. a LAN party. It's not a LAN party. It There's is one computer. computer. There's one computer you were all huddled around. What what was your level of gaming or computer literacy when you took this role, Patrick? Well, I like to play the type of games we played in the movie, but those games were basically just Dungeons and Dragons yeah. with the computer asking you, you know, do you turn right or left? And it's like, oh, right or left? Jesus, what do I do? What do I do? And it's like, that was the big, you know, thing. So when we did these, when we did these, this movie and what now looks like a very primitive version of, you know, computer stuff, all of it was made up. I was going to say, yes. like, the voice the, the to text, like, 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 talking into the microphone, right, and that yeah. would do yeah. things. Yeah. That, that, wasn't, a thing that wasn't a thing. And I was yeah. just like, going, Who are the, who's going to believe this? Like, <laughs> you can't talk into a, a microphone on the internet. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I was expecting, like, like Zork. I was expecting just text-based you know, entry stuff. And suddenly right. there's like a, a vector graphics uh, yeah. doctor. Be, and yeah. then the-, the and you shoot uh, his head Chris off. Chris is like, just, yeah. <laughs> just shoot the doctor. Yeah, real question marks like, about what yeah. the plot of this game is. Are they just on that screen for the past 15 hours? Like how many story points can there possibly be in this? Like Also, these guys suck. They're like, all right, pull out the gun. And then it's just like, all right, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do with what the do gun? What do we do now? Oh, our, no. our gun is pointed at the bad guy, and we have a decision to make. In 15 mm. seconds. Oh, no. And Gwen oh, at the very last I second. I give up. I think we should just quit. Well, that's 15 hours. I'll never get back. Huh? But luckily, Gwen's there, and she tells the computer over a very advanced voice-to-text interface to yeah. shoot the doctor in the head. Pull the trigger. Genius. Dr. Animus is fatally shot in the middle of a blind Please enter your name as the new champion. I don't believe it. I finally beat MIT. And Tom is very, very happy that he beat MIT. Because that's uh, the only thing what in his life. What are the qualifiers for beat? Is it like doing it quicker? Is it getting to the end? Is it getting to the end first? I have like, to assume there's some kind of leaderboard we never see. Uh, is 15 hours a good time? What is the best uh, like time? Like me running a 5K. Like. <laughs> right. How would people talk between a computer? And the very concept of like emails doesn't exist yet. So they're like, it has to be when two people are on the computer at the same time. All Right, so when <laughs> they didn't even have the term internet, they didn't. It wasn't a thing. There's the DARPA net, but no one was talking about it. There was no email. It was just sort of like on the computer line thing. <laughs> and there's one great shot which I think just it's like they they didn't fix it. They made their own problem when they digitized Paul Smith. They take a picture of him from the film, and he's looking like this way, and then. <laughs> They digitize it, and it's not that picture. It's a completely other picture in a different place where his body is now this way. He's looking like this way. It was just like they, quote, unquote, digitizing these photos was ridiculous. Zoom and enhance. Yeah. Zoom and enhance. Obviously, the whole thing takes place in this cabin, which is cut off completely from anything except one, one girl has a radio, a little transistor radio where they're listening to the news. And if you look at that scene, and I busted them, I busted the director on the set and he was not happy because <laughs> no one had figured it out. Because when you're doing these movies, you know, the set director, decorator comes in, they design the set, they do it. And then the director comes in and he looks at it. And sometimes things will get missed because they're so ubiquitous that you don't, you, you, you don't see them because you've seen them so much. Mm. And the one thing they didn't see, and we're all gathered around it, listening to the transistor radio is a huge television behind us <laughs> <laughs> that has hooked up 
to the satellite dish. That's the only reason the satellite dish is there is to yeah. funnel the programming to the television. But no, we never turn the TV on. And I go, why don't we just turn the TV on? To the see director if World looked War III at the TV, has he started. looked at me and he goes, you shut up. <laughs> that must have been crazy to have you come along. You remind me of my wife. Why? Because I'm a woman? No, because you're a reporter. Push a reporter. Now be quiet and let me do my job. I mean, imagine my surprise when Yafa Koto is at the beginning of the movie and then continues to be in the yeah, rest of yes. the movie. <laughs> I was I was convinced that he was Didn't like the he name get a that guest they star a guest starring credit like I think he did. I truly expected this to be like a Godfrey Ho Richard Harrison thing where it's just like uh yeah, he's one of the stars on the front of the box. He's at the beginning of the movie. He disappears for the majority of the movie then shows up at the end for like uh for the book and so that they're like see you often you know here again i was sure paul smith was just going to be a face on the screen yeah and then he was like in the movie i was like what's going on here i think the script is is a lot of fun the cast makes it it's a movie where it's just like yeah. i just had a blast watching it because i loved everybody on screen everybody seemed like they were having a great time and that's rare so yeah. like especially yeah. with, like especially the movies we watch like yeah like ripoffs i feel like a lot of times people are sort of like yep the paycheck is clear and so i'm still working well, this could take some time you'd make a pretty good season huh? how come you didn't bring me no sandwich man? i brought you a sandwich you did yes i did no i'm not like that i'm not like other people <laughs> Yeah, what I was I was surprised at re-looking at it because again, as an actor, the first thing you do is you watch just your parts. And then if the movie is from the 80s, then I've cut all of just my parts onto my reel. So I've seen my parts a bunch of times. I really haven't seen the rest of the movie in a long time. And I was watching how Edward and Yafit had a really great chemistry. Yeah. That at some points was completely wrong for the movie. They were having such a great time while everything is going to go into shit, yeah. but they yeah. were having a good time. It's like, you got my sandwich? I got you a sandwich. Oh, yeah. the sandwich, okay. the sandwich Study the photograph. This is Dominic Dubois, who has been quite visible recently in the news media, reporting on our money and our course. You are to eliminate her within the next few hours. She will be watched by some of our other operators. The final assault begun. Set it up then. Somewhere in the public out in the open. She has to be eliminated, otherwise she'll be risk losing her contacts. No. No. The movie got me because like they yeah. have this whole scene where they're doing a hit on Danny's girlfriend who is a newscaster and you see her get shot like at the LA Zoo <laughs> and I'm like oh they yeah uh, I guess strong I like, squib work on it. I'm like I yeah, feel like they could have saved her but okay I guess this, the, the mission is important and they take her body out of the car and even then I'm like Oh man, did they have to like get? Aren't there authorities who can claim that body? And then she's totally <laughs> fine. I'm like, movie, you yeah. got me. <laughs> totally, yeah. The, the moment where Koto is like, "Sorry, bro, your girlfriend's gotta <laughs> die." I was yeah. like, "Whoa, yeah. <laughs> insane!" I'm sorry. How'd I do? <laughs> They drive up in a station wagon. And this is a classic terminal entry for me. They drive up in the station wagon. He gets out and he doesn't go to the back where you put the body in the back of the station <laughs> yes. wagon. He goes to the second passenger door, not in the payload bay of the station wagon where she might be comfortable. And Dominique, after she gets pretend killed and then we reveal that it was it was a it was a make-believe to troll her boyfriend <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, dominique for the rest of the movie is uh under the protection of the u.s army and is extremely flippant about yeah. national security <laughs> yes. measures yeah that are well that you can't just give her protect... a juicy story like this greg and expect her to <laughs> not report on it you may as well kill me again Jamie, She's gonna you take shut pictures? up or you better kiss me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! We are new. We know the risk is great. The stakes in the game have increased tenfold in the last several hours. You were with Hassan's group? Yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yes. I love it. It's so 
almost like it understands you. Mm. Probably latest technology and voice recognition chips. Systematic political overthrow will begin within 24 hours. You will receive your first program within five hours, after which time we'll begin the severing of all cross-country communication networks. Stand by. I must tell you something, though. This movie is incredibly timely because we basically watched the start of the alt-right on yeah. screen. <laughs> this is a bunch of gamers going into the darkest depths of the internet to get radicalized. We're putting hits on American targets. Like, this is Charlottesville minus the fucking Tiki Torch. Right. Your dialogue is so incredible. And yes. the specifically... I, I'm just going to skip straight to the end because the the credits of the film have Bob, your character, just sort of rambling over them. Yeah. Was that scripted? Were you improving? Like, how that much was of the just film? Just all improv. That was just straight <gasps> so up improv. great. I who was the who was the that. person who pushed the who left all that? I mean, I guess it's an editor or director, but that's. But did you I, I know, know? Like, did you know that this was going to go under the credits, or was that a surprise to you when you watched it? Like, oh, like they kept no, that it was thing. it was. We did it in post and it came across because basically I, I saw this as an opportunity to show off. I mean, it's just basically in the, in the sense of uh, having had the experience I had, I knew that once, you're, once your scene was done or once you get to the end of the scene, they'll say cut. And because in our particular situation with what our scenes were based off of, most all of our scenes ended with basically hitting the return key to initiate whatever we've talked about. <laughs> so I rapidly figured out that until I hit the return key, I could say whatever I wanted and I have to keep it in. So I started, I started, you hacked the post-production. And so what you'll see in the movie is where the scene would end the little bit of the information is given and then i kind of ramble and that part is always you know like what i'm making up what was interesting and when i saw it later was edward and yafit had seen some rushes and they had seen what i was doing <laughs> and so then they started to do the same type of thing where there was always, you know, at the tail end of your scene, there's always like the director's going to cut or he's going to let it play out. So they started adding stuff. And of course, as editors, I, you know that you can cut out whatever you want, but they just kept leaving it in. So by the time we had gotten to the point where we'd finished filming and they were in post-production, they saw that the performance that I had given was based on this kind of rambling guy that just talks his ass off. And they thought that it would be funny to have that to keep people uh you know listening so that you get that marvel-esque you know sting at the end that was also incredible we've never ever on the podcast had a movie that had a post-credit scene no that was <laughs> it might be one of the first i i was thinking it has to be like i would love to see someone who has seen literally ever film in existence greg uh, like what the first post credit scene, but not War Games. Was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, watch War Games first, young man. Got me real psyched for Terminal Entry too. Uh, terminal Reentry is what they were yeah. gonna call it. Terminal Reentry, oh, nice. It writes itself. It does. It really the, does. The Somehow space has to be involved there. We do not listen to your presence except of embargo. Now, right now, as you watch, we have two hundred and fifty freedom fighters. In United States, we seek martyrdom. Death is a salvation for us. So, welcome to my gift, America. Do you have any sense as far as the casting of Middle Eastern terrorist type characters? Was that like in reference to like Iran Contra stuff? Yeah, absolutely. At the okay. time, it was, they were as easy as Nazis. I mean, you just had, you know, Arabs. And yeah. I think you just call them, you know, and then just be horribly like jingoistic now, you know, because they're real people over there. But for, for the eighties, it was just like, you know, you needed Chuck Norris, 
and then 40 <laughs> Arabs yep. and, you know, a machine gun. It's pretty fucking, it's pretty bad. It's pretty just like being from the Middle East and or Muslim is a mental illness yeah. that will cause you to be a killer. Yeah. That's like, and you're a zombie and a drone. And you're all and wired you into just the same be, computer. And <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll say it, Skipper. I had a really funny moment where during the, the raid on the terrorist camp, you know, and uh, the first act, because they were doing all the cross-cutting where the main bad guy is, is getting everybody jazzed up to, like, start doing terrorist things. And then we have the heroes, like, s slowly, sneakily, stealthily, like, coming in. I was convinced that, like, when they got in, it was going to be one of those oh no they're in the wrong place and then the whole thing explodes okay. and the <laughs> terrorists are smarter thing and like much to my surprise when they get it and like just a an actual like gunfight starts I was like where is this going then like, <laughs> I was like if we're killing our bad guy what is the plot of the movie because I knew it was like kids versus terrorists and I just for some reason had not at all thought about the fact that at some point you guys were the terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> Which is racist of me. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, the 80s love the ninja outfit. Oh, Even yeah. if you're in a desert during the middle of the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're the U.S. Army? <laughs> yeah, U.S. Army with red Jeeps and red tents. Yeah, whose plan is to drive a Jeep through a wall anyway. <laughs> the plan is not stealth. <laughs> Stealth is not on now, the menu. No, but first you got to sneak up on a guy and snap his neck. And then <laughs> you can do whatever you want. They spent all of this money on, so the idea in the script was is that truck was their command center. And in the back of the truck was looked like what, what you, it was filled with fruit, you know, boxes of fruit. And so the, the idea was is that it was a secret door that you'd press open and inside you'd find this command center. Awesome. And so it was like this really cool thing and they had done the, oh. and they made it. And then they set the setup like, okay, so there's this truck that's secretly a command center surrounded by an army camp. You know, it's like all the guys were sitting out in, in chairs, you know, in their in their camos next to the Jeeps and everything. It wasn't like they were hiding anything from anybody. I was wondering right. why there were crates of apples behind <laughs> the generals. The right. Time. It would be that if you, if if the if the terrorists came over, no man, we're just hanging out here taking a break from driving our apples to California. And we don't have any super secret spy equipment in here. <laughs> The fact that the movie goes from, like, not that far in, really, the terrorist bad guys are blown up, and they're out of the movie now. And the kids are the ones doing all of these horrifying acts. Well, because you can, thinking you can, it's horrifying. A game. You can cut off the head, but still, for some reason, all of the operatives are always next to their computers. <laughs> they're all sitting there yeah. waiting. Waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. In a smoky warehouse yeah. at <laughs> night. You know, Greg, if the computer says four hours, you got to sit there and you got to wait no matter how smoky the room gets. Yeah. Are you properly backlit? <laughs> <laughs> and remember, once you up and American society, be sure to hit that bell and the subscribe button. <laughs> and remember, guys, if you're playing a game and a timer is on the screen and it's got four hours to go, you don't walk there. away and make a sandwich. <laughs> no, you better watch that right timer. You, wait. you never know. Just in case it's a lie. Four, four hours might turn into four minutes. You never know. When I was re-listening to all the background stuff, because I knew that we had done a lot of stuff, but did you, did you hear that there's trillions of dollars worth of damage that these kids yeah. cause. Yes! Yeah. And the president is in has now started martial law. Martial yeah, yeah. law! Yeah. These the kids have destroyed of this the earth. Are, are staggering. Listen, listen, guys, they're not looking at their smartphones. They're kids <laughs> living in yeah. the moment, ordering hits on Russian peace operatives. <laughs> but the the delightful twist comes from when you send a hit out on yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> what a <laughs> what a move! Killer move it's on Bob's part. Yeah, yeah literally. Funny. <laughs> Operator twenty three. There is a ranch. 30 miles. Due west of Highway 42, Southwest California, near the Needles Bypass. Bob, what are you doing? That's us. You must terminate all six of these students immediately. Assignment confirmed. Operative 23 acknowledged. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Howie and Gwen will never get out of this, but it'll kill him. I like that Bob thinks he can win the game that way, because clearly there's no win scenario to the game. Or even if there is, I feel like that's 
that's a troll move. That's a, oh man, they're going to be so mad when I deliberately like sabotage our position in this game. You doxed yourselves. During the 80s, and I guess now, but during the 80s, it was a literal mandate that you had a character that just didn't have it together, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then your character had to get it together and become something by the end of the movie. You know, your Bill Murray's are the perfect example of it. And so Bob was the character of like, everyone's selling him. You just don't have it together. But wait a minute. He did get it together. He called all of those terrorists to go kill him, and he killed all those people, and he blew up all of those places, and he did it, man. He did it. Like, what? What did he learn? It wasn't like he didn't, he didn't pull it together at all. He causes all of this mayhem. You know, they could have st- they stopped the bad guy, like you said, in like minute twenty. And, yeah, yeah. But these kids go off and wreck it, and then at the end, what what happens to the kids? Bye, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's that classic hero's journey where at the beginning you're kind of a burnout loser and at the end you felt the warm splash of blood from another man <laughs> on your hands. So, you know, you that's growth. Classic Campbell. Am I the only one who loved the fact that Bob and company are taken out of the house at the end so that they can basically like trap the terrorists and then Bob is just like, wait a minute, gotta yes. go back inside. Incredible. <laughs> He's led by the voice of the computer woman from the beginning. She well, she got us in to the terminal entry, remember? Because the Yeah, the- <laughs> she was the siren guiding us along this whole way. Go back into the house and put your initials into the computer. It was one of those situations, probably the only time I've had it. I'm watching the movie and she says, you know, you got to come and put your things in. And I sort of walk off and I go, what am I doing? <laughs> I, Me too. I had no intention. I had no reason. I didn't understand what. I mean, I did it because it was written in the script. That's the only yeah. reason. I'm looking at it. And then and then they have that big tracking shot. And that's the other thing, too. The director wanted, he loved movies. And he has all of these great ideas. And there was this great tracking shot. But it's like this tracking shot of me just watching as all of these explosions go off. Am I just enjoying all of the, the carnage? What, yeah. what am I? It's almost like he's in a, a trance. Like it's right very... again. It's prescient because it's like that. You know, desensitization to violence that later will bring up there a bunch is. about video games. Exactly <laughs> was blamed on video games, but it's what's so funny. Why Terminal Entry is actually a brilliant piece of sort of like social satire is we were worried about adding violence to video games as creating a more violent culture, but the ultimate destructive thing has been adding video games to violence. Yes. I have people in my life who are like join the Air Force and like go on like drone projects and like that has that process is so whatever you think about it as a practice in the world it as it as a material thing is like compartmentalized into all these like very small duties so that is essentially like at the end of the day it is teenagers on computers and screens doing something destructive but being like totally divorced from it when we end with the chilling line this may be the first generation that defends american soil from american soil Speaking of prescient lines. Wow. Oh my <laughs> God. Speaking through time. Well, I yeah, think yeah. Howie, Howie and Gwen represent no. the make love, not war, because they didn't do anything except. They, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. In one of our other movies, Greg described young adults talking as hot and cold at the same time. <laughs> and I think what like is really fun about the kids part of this movie, right, is like it's obvious 80s horseplay and horniness. Yeah. Uh, 80s horn, but play. all very consenting <laughs> and like, yeah. and like, exactly, romantic but like, too. <laughs> there's a sweetness to yeah, it. Yeah, there's it's very sweet. Again, the laboratory difference. This movie gives you like the sort of honest depiction of like sex starved and obsessed young people nerds. and nerds, nerds, <laughs> and allows like the women to have sexual presence. Mm-hmm. Jeez, Louise, didn't get enough? Didn't get any yet. Oh. What? I said it's uh, it's gonna be a long 48 hours yet. Yeah, I'll let you slide this time. You captured so well something that I never really had words for, but it's like when you're a young, horny adolescent, the goodness in your brain is at conflict with the badness you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> like gross, 
the gross horny things you want to do all the time and i felt that you 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 captured that cross section quite well and at the end of the movie i guess you do get some horniness resolved in the putting your name into the computer which is a metaphor if nothing else uh, yeah and, and, and you left your brand on it as uh, my gross uncle would call it <laughs> I have to ask if the initials were actually part of a name or if it was a joke for big fucking dick. No one put a fine point on it, but it was sort of like, yeah, BFD is the initials he put, he puts in. It's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I sort of love that's that. Awesome. That's awesome Great to be like, one. I've destroyed entire swaths of this country. <laughs> JK, 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 like... Yeah, yeah. A-S-S. -S. <laughs> and the eternal logic just, you know, it's like it was never a game. It was always a communication system for these terrorists that we broke into. So at the end of it, the terrorists were going to have like a winner. That's, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. The fact yes. it ends up being a game. <laughs> oh, shit. The thing that's absolutely not a game, but is also for some reason disguised recruitment, as a game. Recruitment is difficult, so you gotta, like, <laughs> get gotta people game. in. You gotta gamify it, you know? People we learned that in the last Starfighter, did yeah. <laughs> People don't realize that 72 virgins thing. That's actually a collectible side quest. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that there's a winner to the terrorist game. <laughs> but it also means that the terrorists sucked at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like these kids had the game for an afternoon and d brought down Western culture. <laughs> like what the hell is the fucking terrorist cell been doing with the game they only have access to? It's like the first kid who figured out the missing no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Rare candies ain't so rare when I have infinity of them. I mean, this movie does underline something for me, which I've always really felt, which is that the true villain of the movie is the phone company. Oh, yeah. Because this Charging whole, way too much. This whole thing could have been skipped if phone bills just were cheaper. They wouldn't have yep. had to go all the way to fucking Big Bear. <laughs> it's a confused message, right? Because it's about open access to information, but also there's two, some information is too access. <laughs> like global terrorist networks. It's worrisome, but very funny that this piece of like absolute right-wing reactionary schlock from the 80s ended up being weirdly true. So who knows what fucking awful piece of dirt being made right now will be true 30 years from now. <laughs> Hopefully not cats. Yeah, unfortunately, I was reading a little bit about weather patterns as they have progressed over the years, and we're honestly not that far from Sharknadoes. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, you were really wonderful back there. <laughs> no. No, no, really. I, it, was, it was nothing, really. Domo oregato yafat goto. Domo oregato yafat. Goto. Domo, domo, <laughs> domo, domo. Video games become what we kill with. What will you play if you could choose it? Domo, domo, <laughs> domo, domo. Improv the lines if you like to. It doesn't matter. We all like you. Domo, 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 domo. Keep off the port card. <laughs> The Terminal Entry Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by Hackers Sneakers for the computer who wears tennis shoes. S Swordfish? <laughs> <laughs> Did that joke have a footnote? Did that joke have a bibliography at the end? John Kincaid's terminal entry ends with the rather prescient warning, you just may be the first generation that defends American soil from American soil. Now, perhaps screenwriters David Mickey Evans and Mark Sobel couldn't have truly foreseen the future of drone strikes and cyber warfare coming down the pipeline, which today truly actually blur the boundaries between video games and war, but it's not as though the concepts were alien to the American military-industrial complex at the time. The first cyber attack ever actually occurred a year after Terminal Entry was released, 1988. Cornell University graduate student Robert Tapan Morris developed a program to assess the size of the internet. As designed, the program would crawl the web, install itself on other computers, and then count how many copies it made. 
Once tallied, the results would indicate the number of computers connected to the web. It was a program with originally good intentions, but as is usually the case, evolved into something with devastating <laughs> consequences. Sometimes you start a website to rate hot girls on your college <laughs> campus and end up destroying democracy. <laughs> Sometimes you unleash the first worm on the internet while trying to take a census. While trying to ensure accuracy, Morris wrote a command for the worm that forced it to install itself on a computer every one out of seven times, even if the computer already had the program. With each installation, the infected computers would become further debilitated until they finally crashed. In total, the worm damaged 6,000 computers, 10% of the entire internet at the time, and was the first DDoS attack in history, causing upwards of $2.9 million in damages adjusted for inflation. The concept of cyber attacks evolved significantly over the next decade, with hackers finding new ways to exploit worms and viruses for their gain, including, notably, in 1995, a Kevin Polson, who used hacking to win a Porsche in an L.A. radio contest, and a 15-year-old Jonathan James, who once installed a backdoor within the Department of Defense's servers. But in 2002, it reached levels of power and expanse not previously attempted. The internet was hit directly in the largest and most sophisticated DDoS attack of its time, targeting 13 DNS root servers. I don't know what these words mean, but whatever. <laughs> While most servers were unaffected, the attack could have shut down the entire internet if it had been sustained for a longer period. This paved the way for cyber attacks across all spectrums. In 2013, Yahoo announced that 1 billion user accounts had been compromised, losing $350 million in value for the company. In 2017, the Equifax cyber attack exposed 143 million user accounts, including social security numbers and credit cards. Cyber attacks have become so common, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who hasn't had to sign up for complimentary identity protection services due to leaks of personal data through companies from Target to J.P. Morgan Chase. But beyond cyber attacks for personal gain, what about cyber warfare? The concept began in 2010 with Stuxnet, the first cyber weapon meant to cause physical damage. It was reported to have destroyed 20% of the centrifuges Iran used to create its nuclear arsenal. Between 2014 and 2016, Russia launched a series of strategic attacks against the Ukraine and German parliaments, timely. And during that same period, China hacked 21.5 million employee records from the U.S. Office of Personal Management. In a wild story relevant to this podcaster's career, on November 24th, 2014, a hacker group identifying itself as Guardians of Peace released confidential data from the film studio Sony Pictures. The data included personal information about Sony Pictures employees and their families, information on executive salaries, copies of unreleased films, plans for future films, and other information. The hackers then employed a variant of the Shaman Wiper malware to erase Sony's computer infrastructure. All of this was an act of blackmail to coerce Sony to withdraw its upcoming film, The Interview, a comedy starring Seth Rogen and James Franco about a plot to assassinate North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. In response, the film was indeed pulled from theaters. Many people criticized the decision, calling it a threat to free speech. The interview currently has a score of 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> another more positive, if you ask certain people, outcome to the hack was that it killed Sony's dreams of another standalone Spider-Man series, allowing them to team up with Marvel under Kevin Feige's creative leadership. One final, rather infamous example of international cyber warfare was, of course, in 2016. WikiLeaks published documents obtained through Russian intelligence agency hackers and greatly affected how Americans viewed the 2016 presidential election. This act caused such overwhelming distrust that it fueled further years of conspiracy theorists, disinformation campaigns, and the rise of QAnon. They say you can still hear cries of butter emails on the internet to this day. Oh wait, no, you can. You definitely can. It's everywhere. <laughs> and that has been the Terminal Entry Ripoff Report Card. Domo Oregato Patrick Laborto. Domo Oregato Patrick Laborto. Domo, 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 Domo. Rip off report card. <laughs> All right, classmates. Before we log off, please tell me what from Terminal Entry might end up on the final test. Well, I guess video games killed the everyone star. <laughs> <laughs> ASL. Assassination, <laughs> sex, Laborta. Laborta. Another movie that left me cheering for the downfall of American imperial <laughs> society. I, I dream of the day when I can read the newspaper headline scrawled, All your base are belong to us. <laughs> you stand at the end of a podcast. Exits are forward, left, and right. Uh, up. Shit. Up is not an exit. 
You stand at the end of a podcast. Exits are forward, left and right. Left. You go left. The podcast ends. And of course, it is with the deepest of gratitude that we say thank you so very much to our exchange student and Greg's new dad, <laughs> Patrick Laberto. Thank yeah. you so very much. Honestly, thank hey, you so much pleasure. for coming and doing this. It was so cool to get a firsthand account of terminal entry in a career you should be proud of. That is a that is an entree into 80s action movie that anyone should be proud of, sir. A first-hand account of a second-hand movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The third-person viewpoint is definitely how I feel about it because, you know, movies like Heather's or Summer School or whatever, you do like a terminal entry and obviously some of them, you know, get out there and some of them don't. Um, and so it, it, I'm just, I, I'm happy to be a part of that stuff and the fact that people, you know, know them is not... It, I'm not the icon that's making it happen. It's the movies that are making the character, you know, kind of what it is. Um, and I guess my, own, my my big, big plug is for the school. I have an online acting school called workingactorsschool.com, which is based on the idea that based on a years and years of working, that there's a lot to be said for the people that go to acting school in the studio type of situation where you are surrounded by other actors and you're it's all about the process and you can experiment and do all of these things. Um, working Actors School, the one that I'm running, teaches you what it's like to be on a set and to have to learn how to act and to be able to do those wonderful things that you learn in your other acting classes on an actual set so that you're a working actor and so that you get the jobs and how do you you know, do your auditions online now that they're doing that and how do you, you know, deal with the fact that that big speech that you're working on you know, now you have to do it in five minutes because the sun is setting and the actor that you're working against is a total jerk and they're not giving you the lines they should be giving you and so you still have to perform. Oh, that's So great. that's workingactorsschool.com. That's my big pitch there. But uh, otherwise, it's been it's been a real blast. And, and watching this movie again was a real blast and having you guys <laughs> give me all these insights was really fun. All right, so please, anyone out there interested in pursuing a career in acting, please check out workingactorsschool.com and learn something from a great Patrick. Uh, uh, drum roll. Uh, uh, <laughs> how do I pronounce it? God! Laberto, thank you so very much for being <laughs> with the class. Thank you so much, Patrick. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. This, this was, was awesome. incredible. This was so much fun. Jeff Franklin. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, that is the name we will be cutting out from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Franklin, Mr. Franklin, if you are listening, there is a premium subscription to Video High where you can leave, hear your name. <laughs> <laughs> the price is a roll for Patrick in Fuller House. <laughs> Thank you so much for logging on to this episode of Video High, where we talked about terminal entry. We want to thank the following teachers' aides for all their help in today's class. Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris for our theme song. Justin Ferraro of Lowboy and the Rizzos for our bed music. And Shearer for our amazing logo. Additional music by Day 7, song The End. From the rest of the Video High class, Jamie Kennedy, Josh Roth, Casey Regan, and myself, Greg Hansen. Next week, the class suits up to talk about the much maligned RoboCop 3. So fight through the evil OCP Corporation and watch the movie for next class. Catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They have uh, rear entry. <laughs> 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 I'm glad I'm glad we dead sprinted for that joke. <laughs> Get it out of the way. Sorry. Uh, 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 in your ear. Podcast Network.